On today's episode, we're going to talk about how to use thought leadership to grow your business and home-cooked meals. Let's go! This is the Blind Entrepreneur Podcast where we help entrepreneurs and business professionals execute their vision by guiding them to profitability. Today, we have Josh Steinle. He is the founder and CEO of MWI, a full-service digital marketing agency that works with companies of all sizes like Sony, LG, startups, and SMEs. He is also a TEDx speaker. He's written over 300 articles for publications like Forbes, Entrepreneur, Mashable, Time Magazine, and many more. He is also the founder of Influencer Inc., which helps individuals become thought leaders. Josh, Good morning to you. Good evening to me. How is your day going? Hey, John, thanks so much for having me on the show. This is exciting. I'm so glad to be here. And I'm having a fantastic morning over here in Shenzhen, China. Very cool. So can't wait to pick your brain because you have a wealth of knowledge and wisdoms. But before we get into all that, we have to start the podcast off the same way we do every single time. And that's with an icebreaker. So Josh, are you ready? I'm ready. All Let's right. Do it. So imagine you just had the absolute best day of your life. Where are you going to eat and what are you going to order in order to make your day complete? You know what? Actually, I would be not having dinner at a restaurant. I'd be having dinner at home with my family and my kids. And in that case, I don't order the food. I eat whatever's put in front of me. <laughs> And that's the best dinner for me right there. Very cool. Now, is there a particular dish that maybe somebody's making for you that you thoroughly enjoy? Yeah, you know, my uh, wife and I, we're kind of on this health thing. Uh, so we eat pretty much vegan. I mean, not vegan, but close to it. Lots of vegetables, lots of fruits. But my wife, my wife makes this amazing vegan macaroni cheese using cashew cheese, it's actually like really, really good. So that's one of my favorite dinners right there. So then my next follow-up question then is, have you seen What to Health? And does that contribute to any aspect of your healthy eating? Yeah, so, um, you know, I got in this healthy thing because of entrepreneurship, actually, because mm. entrepreneurship ruined my health <laughs> first. And so about 10 years ago, I said, you know, I'm going to die if I continue down this path of working 100 hour weeks, eating junk food, sitting in front of a computer all the time. And so I went through kind of this midlife crisis, got into triathlon and running and all these things that people do once they, uh, they get to their mid thirties and they realize they're fat and out of shape. And <laughs> so I did all that stuff and, uh, got in shape and then got interested in health and nutrition and all of that. And uh, then we also discovered that my wife has multiple sclerosis. So that came about about two or three years ago, and diet really impacts that. And so we really got hyper-focused on our nutrition and eating and cutting things out. And uh, it's been uh, really kind of a blessing for us and our family to focus on health. And it's been great for the business, too. Like, I feel so much more awake and alive when I'm eating healthfully and getting the right nutrients into my body and stuff. So, sorry, a bit of a long answer there. No, no, it's a, it's a real answer. And, and honestly, it's interesting you say it. And I asked that question that way because I too found myself eating a little bit more vegetables and being healthy. So, but let's get into that a little bit later. Let's set the core foundation. Um, Josh, tell us a little bit more about yourself. Who are you at your core and, and what is your story? 
So quick story here is I grew up in Los Angeles, California. I was raised by a rocket engineer, a rocket scientist, and an elementary school teacher. And my parents basically taught me that I could do whatever I wanted to do, and they gave me a safe space to take risks. And so I remember when I was in fourth grade, a friend of mine, we got together I mean, we're just little fourth graders, but we had this idea of starting a surfwear company. And it wasn't like a serious thing. This is like, you know, playing house or something, but we were playing business. And we just came up with logos and ideas. And we're like, yeah, we're going to start the surfboard company. Never went anywhere. But I always remembered that experience and what a fun time it was just thinking about creating this imaginary business. And so... Later on, I had opportunities to work for myself and start little things. And in high school, I started a skate shop. I'm a skater. And so I started a skate shop and I was selling stuff. And this gave me a taste of entrepreneurship. And at this point, I had no idea that you could study business or entrepreneurship at in college. And so then when I went to college, I went to go be an artist. I was going to study design and art. And then I got into college and I found out wow, there's this school called the business school. I thought people just started businesses. That's what I did. I just started businesses when I was in high school. I didn't know you could study this stuff. I was so ignorant. And so then I thought, well, I'm going to switch into business. And I got into business, but I also got jobs working for other startups. And this was during the dot-com boom. This is the late 90s. It was an exciting time when everybody was starting all sorts of stuff, kind of like today, really, a lot. And I was working for one of these dot-coms that later became a $2 billion sale to Adobe. And watching this, I was just like, I cannot stand just working here. I've got to do something like this. And so in 1999, I quit that job. I started my agency, MWI, which is now the company I'm running today. And it's just been a blast ever since then. We've worked with great companies. We've built, designed and built hundreds, maybe over a thousand websites. And it's just been such an exciting ride. I've never been bored. Every other job I've had in my life, I either quit or I got fired from within five months. This is the only job I've been able to keep longer than five months working for myself. Because one, nobody can fire me. But two, it's exciting. I never get bored. I'm curious, uh, formerly running a digital agency like myself, uh, I I would love to hear a little bit more about your secret sauce. You've been in business for 27, 17, well, wait, 17 years. 17 years. Yeah. I'm sorry. I, I, Don't make me feel too old. Yeah, yeah. I got my math <laughs> incorrect. I apologize. Um, you know, what would you say has been the biggest success in business that you've experienced throughout these these years in business? Um, well, in terms of why I'm still around after 17 years, I mean – I started my business at the worst possible time. I started in December of 1999, and for anybody who was working and in business back then, you know what happened in March of 2000, that was the dot-com crash, and a lot of companies went out of business. This is right when I'm starting my business. It's like, whoops, I just missed the wave, and now I'm experiencing the crash, and I just got started. And we survived, and then a little while later, we had 9-11. And a lot of companies went out of business during 9-11, during the terrorist attacks, because it really threw the economy into an upheaval. And we survived that. 
And then we survived the crash in 2007, 2008 with a big real estate crash and all that stuff, which we're still really in that recession from back then. Um, I mean, there are people who say we've recovered on all this, but really we're still in a recession. It's been like a 10 year long recession. And so all of that stuff we survived. And the reason we survived was I think just plain and simple tenacity. I just didn't give up. I couldn't give up now. I don't think that's always the right decision to not give up. Sometimes it is the right decision to give up and go do something else if you're doing the wrong thing or if there's something a lot better that you could be doing. But the reason we survived is because I just, I didn't want to give up. I chose not to give up. And so I was willing to do things that other people maybe weren't willing to do just to survive and to stick around. And the interesting thing is that the first 14 years of my business, we were not successful. I mean, we were successful in some ways at some things, but financially as a business, which is kind of the main thing you have to be successful at to call yourself a business, we were not a financial success. And it wasn't until 2013 when I got the opportunity to start writing for Forbes and all these other publications and something else critical happened, which was I brought on the right partner to run the business with me. When we got those two things together, the writing and my new partner, then everything blew up and became really successful. And now we're having this fun ride where things are going really well. There's still a lot of ups and downs, still a lot of challenges, but it was those two things, the magic sauce, the marketing, the content marketing we were doing for ourselves. And then having a partner who took pressure off of me and allowed me to do what I do best, which is that writing while he took care of sales and operations and building the team and all that. That's what allowed us to really grow quickly. So there's a ton of businesses, entrepreneurs that would long for the perfect partner that just need that perfect partner. What was that process like for you in finding the, you know, the, the yin to your yang, so to speak? Well, the process took about 14 years. That's the bad part of it. The good news is it doesn't have to take 14 years for anybody else out there. Uh, the mistake I made early on, I brought on partners in the early days of my business, but I brought on the wrong partners at that point. And I'm not saying they were bad people or anything like that. It's just, it wasn't the right match. And it took me two and a half years to get out of those partnerships. And then I, at that point I made another mistake was I said, well, I had this bad experience with partners. Therefore I'm never going to have a partner again. That was also a mistake. But from 2003 until 2013, I didn't have a partner. And I told everybody, partnerships are the wrong way to go. They're terrible. They lead to all sorts of problems. I will never have a partner ever again. And it took me 10 years to get over that experience because it was such a negative experience that I had the first time. But in 2012, a friend of mine, Mark Browning, and we were together in Brazil traveling. And I was complaining to him about issues I was having with the business. And he said, Josh, I know you don't want to hear this because you say all the time you don't want a partner, but you need a partner. Like that's what you need. And by this point I was ready to be open to that idea. And I started searching for the right partner. And first I just went to everybody I knew who I thought was a prospective partner. And I talked to them and said, are you interested in this opportunity? And people either weren't interested or they just weren't the right fit. The more that we talked and all through 2012, I was searching, and by the end of 2012, I'd kind of given up because I, did, I couldn't find anybody. I didn't know anybody. And then I was with my wife's family for Christmas, 
And I started talking to my brother-in-law, who I've known since he was 11 years old when I married his older sister, and who I had never seen as a prospective business partner, because in my head, he's still kind of this little kid. Yeah. But we were talking, and he was telling me about his experience with door-to-door sales. He was selling pest control and alarm systems and that stuff. And the more I talked with him, I thought, this guy really knows sales. So I started asking him for advice, and then he started consulting with me, and then he started working part-time for me, and then he started working full-time for me, and then after about a year, all of 2013, I realized, this is the guy. Like, Mm. this is the guy that is my partner, but I never considered, I don't like hiring family or friends, and so I had just kind of written him off as, I didn't even think about it, but after we worked together for a year and it just kind of happened naturally, I realized this is the guy, he's the perfect partner. And I gave him half the company. And I said, I want you to have half of this company I've built up because I want you to stick around and I want you to be invested in its success. And I know that what that 50% that I still own is going to be worth a lot more than the 100% I owned before. Mm. So I gave half the company to him, brought him in, and his name's Corey Blake, he's done an incredible job. Interesting. Now, you also mentioned another part of your business, other than finding the right partner, which is getting in front of uh, influencers and becoming contributors and being featured in all these publications. So what has that journey been like? And I'd love to dive in a little bit deeper because I, f- I feel like nowadays with influencer marketing and, and, and the entrepreneurs that are, that are out there uh, marketing their, their product and business, they always want that that uh, piece of being a contributor or being featured. That's like the, the, the Super Bowl to their, uh, to their life. So how has that transitioned your business and what can we take in order to try to be more cognizant of being featured in these publications? Sure thing. So my story is that in 2013, I went to my friend Cheryl Connor and she's a very she's actually the most successful contributor on Forbes. Successful in the sense of she has the post on Forbes that has been read more than any other. It's got over 10 million views. It's been wildly successful. If you've read any post that says something like the 13 things that mentally strong people don't do or that they do do, she wrote the first one of those posts and now a bunch of people have copied her and tried to achieve the success that she had with that post, but she was the first one. Anyway, so Cheryl was writing for Forbes. I actually didn't know she was writing for Forbes. I just knew her because she ran a PR firm and I knew she was really good with public relations. And I went to her because I wanted to get those badges on my website that say, as seen in Forbes, Mashable, TechCrunch, Fast Company, all that stuff, because I thought, my business is struggling. I'm trying to figure out how to bring clients in. And maybe if I had those badges on my website, that would add some credibility and help me to land more of the big clients I'm going after. So I went to her and I said, hey, Cheryl, how do I get these badges on my website? And this is the type of stuff that makes PR people roll their eyes because she's like, that's not exactly what we do. We're, we're not a vending machine giving you badges on your website. And she talked with me about PR and everything. But in the course of us having this discussion about what her firm could do for mine, I started doing more research on her, and then I noticed, wow, she's like in Forbes. Wait a second. How does she write for Forbes as a journalist and run a PR firm at the same time? I mean, those are two full-time jobs. So I said, hey, Cheryl, like, 
how's this thing with Forbes work out? I mean, how do you run a business and do this? And she's like, oh, I don't, I'm not employed by Forbes. I don't have a full-time job there. I'm a contributor. And I asked, well, what's a contributor? And she said, well, Forbes has about 500 staff writers. Those are the people working full-time at Forbes. But then they've also got these 1,500 contributors who are just people who are experts like me on PR or whatever. And we write for Forbes for free. And I said, wait, why do you write for Forbes for free? She said, because I get to write for Forbes and I get to push out articles on Forbes and it gives me massive credibility and it brings business to me. And I said, okay, I get that. How did you get into this? And she said, well, if you want to write for Forbes, just my editor's coming to town in two weeks. I'll introduce you and then you're on your own. But who knows? Maybe he'll like you and you'll get in too. And I almost said, you know what? That sounds interesting, but I'm so busy, no thanks. I almost said these words. I mean, they're on the tip of my tongue, and I was like going back and forth, and I was like, uh, yeah, that'd be great, sure. And thank goodness that's what I said, because two weeks later, I got introduced to her editor, Tom Post, and he brought me in, took me under his wing at Forbes, and I started writing for Forbes, and that changed my whole life. Everything changed at that point. Um, I started writing about entrepreneurship and business stuff that I had experienced. And at first that was just fun and people liked it and I got good feedback, but it didn't do anything for my business because I wasn't selling entrepreneurship. I was selling marketing at my business. But then I started writing about marketing for Forbes and all of a sudden my business started getting leads. So for example, I wrote an article, how to hire an SEO firm or four tips on hiring the right SEO firm. Well, when I wrote that article, what happened? First of all, that article shot to the top of Google for anybody searching for how to hire an SEO firm or anything to do with hiring an SEO firm. Well, who searches on Google for how to hire an SEO firm? People who are hiring SEO firms. So all these people who are trying to hire an SEO firm and they're searching on Google, they're finding my article on Forbes, which ranks really well because it's Forbes. And then they're reading the article and they're like, well, this guy has some good tips about how, how to hire an SEO firm. Oh, and look at his profile. He runs an SEO firm. We should just hire this guy's SEO firm. Mm. So we just got flooded with leads from this. And this wasn't really like super intentional. It wasn't like I was like, how can I use Forbes to get more business? It was more like, huh, I should write this because I'm frustrated with people who don't hire my SEO firm and they don't go through the right steps and I feel like they're making bad decisions about who they hire. I'm going to write an, an article on how to hire an SEO firm the right way. I'm going to give people good advice that's going to help them. Like, that's how it started out. But then I started getting all these leads, and I was like, wow, I just stumbled onto a gold mine here. Mm -hmm. And that article, that single article that I wrote for Forbes in 2013, I can track that article back to well over $2 million in revenue for my agency from that single post. So when, awesome. people, when people come to me and they're like, oh, why do you write for Forbes for free? You should never give anything away for free. I'm like, I'm not giving it away for free. Forbes doesn't pay me, but I'm getting paid. Believe you me, I'm getting paid really well for the two hours I put into writing that article because it's meant millions of dollars for my agency. That is awesome. That's, that is a, a great story. So tons of questions that come in. Um, two in particular, I'll start with one. To those who may not be a contributor, what are some things that we can do right now that can 
set us up for success to become a contributor for these high, uh, high profile publications. Right. So now two things, first of all, if you want to become a contributor, I don't want to talk anybody out of that because I mean, look what it's done for me. I mean, I can't sit here and talk about, Hey, I just made $2 million. Oh, but you don't need to become a tr contributor. Like no big deal. Like it's awesome. If you can become a contributor, there's all sorts of great things that can come from that. <clears throat> At the same time, not everybody can be a contributor. There are thousands, tens of thousands of people who want to be a contributor at Forbes, and it will ju it just won't happen because of it's a numbers game, right? You got to have the right connections. You got to have the ability to write the right way. Uh, so there are just all sorts of reasons why maybe it's not going to work out. But there are all sorts of other things you can do to get the same benefits or a lot of the same benefits without getting into that role. And what I hate to see is people who focus for a year or two on trying to get into a contributor position, and then they're ignoring all this stuff that they could be doing right now, today, to get the same benefits. So, for example, some of those things are go on Quora, Q-U-O-R-A.com, if you've never been on Quora before, but go on Quora and start answering questions about what you do. Anybody can do this. It's free. It's a question and answer website. And if you post on Quora and you give good responses to questions, first of all, people are gonna start recognizing you as an expert, as a thought leader. Whether or not you're published in any big publication or anything, if you talk about what you know and you help people out on Quora, then you're gonna become a thought leader that way. Two, you might actually get into some of these publications that way because a lot of publications, and when I say a lot, I mean like 100 publications, are constantly scouring Quora and they will quote people on Quora in their articles. Writers do this, but also some of the publications have official agreements with Quora to do this. And so there are a bunch of ink articles that are just copied and pasted off of Quora, answers that people have given. So if you want to get into Ink Magazine or Fortune or a ton of others, go answer a bunch of questions on Quora. You might end up in these publications that way being quoted as an expert, which is almost better than actually writing for the publication because then it's the publication writing about you rather than you writing about yourself. So Core is a great place to do this. Also, you can publish on Medium and you can get attention there. So one of my friends, Benjamin Hardy, he was the number one writer on Medium in 2016. He generated almost 1% of all of Medium's traffic in 2016. He's got millions of views and he built all this up in less than two years. So in less than two years, he went from zero to being the number one writer on Medium. And as a result of that, he built an email list of about 250,000 subscribers. He gets 20,000 additional subscribers every month. And because he has such a, a big email list, a big publisher came to him and gave him $220,000 as an advance to write a book. He's a first-time author. He's never written a book before. They gave him two hundred twenty dollars cash and said, we want you to write a book on this stuff that you write about. Yeah. How did he do this? He just followed a process. He followed a recipe. He followed a formula. He analyzed how other people wrote and what was popular, and he started focusing on, on that and writing about that. So now he writes for Inc. and now he writes for Huffington Post and these other publications. But he built his success as a thought leader on Medium, not on those other platforms. And Medium's free. Anybody can write there. So anybody can go to Medium, look at what Ben Hardy's doing, 
and you can reverse engineer that and do that for yourself too. Uh, the third place is LinkedIn. Now, LinkedIn used to have this LinkedIn Pulse place. Now they're kind of moving away from the name Pulse. And they've changed their algorithm a bit. So if you post a, an article on LinkedIn, it doesn't perform as well as it used to. But you can still publish on LinkedIn. You can get publicity there. You can get recognized as a thought leader. Really, the hot thing on LinkedIn, though, is if you do the native video. Not everybody has this. But if you go to create a post, then when you create that, you can... Uh, It'll give you an option for like a camera, like you can post a photo. But if it shows the video camera, then you can record native video on LinkedIn. As soon as you see that native video icon pop up, it's rolling out right now. So you may have it, you may not. I don't have it. I know people who do. I know people who don't. But as soon as you see that video camera icon come up on LinkedIn, when you go to create a new post, start posting native video and start just talking about the stuff you know. Answer questions. Give out helpful secrets. And as you do that, it's going to get a lot of attention on LinkedIn. It's going to build up your profile. And to give an example of how well these things can work, I once took one of my Forbes articles that had done okay. It got about two or 3,000 reads on Forbes. I copied and pasted that article, and I posted it on LinkedIn. And this was, again, back in the day when LinkedIn articles were, were promoted more on the LinkedIn platform. But I copied and pasted this onto LinkedIn, exact same article, published it there. It got 14,000 views and it got like 110 comments or something. Like it was very successful, brought me a lot of attention. So I actually got more attention from LinkedIn, a free platform that anybody can post to, than I got when I posted the exact same content on Forbes. The point here is that there are opportunities to get results in terms of thought leadership and influence from these free platforms that anybody has access to. You don't have to be on Forbes. You don't have to be in Business Insider or Inc. or Entrepreneur. It's great to get in those places, but you don't have to be there to get some of the results that you might be after. Now, you you mentioned about writing the content, not being in the places that you have to. So from your experience, what have you found to be the highest or the, the most successful pieces of content that you've written? There's so much content out in this world, whether it's video, articles, posts, whatever it may be. But what have you found that have been most successful to you? Well, the one I already mentioned, the $2 million blog post, obviously that one was really successful. Uh, in terms of generating attention, the articles I've written that have generated the most attention for me actually weren't related to marketing or the the things that I really uh, that I really want to bring attention for that generate money for me for my business and such. So two of the articles I wrote that were really successful, one was an article about net neutrality, which is an issue that it keeps coming back every every time that the government says we're going to change the rules on net neutrality it gets back in the news cycle. Well, about three years ago, it was really in the news cycle. And I'm kind of libertarian. I have some certain ideas about politics and economics and government and policy. And I was just kind of uh, angry about it, this whole issue. So I was like, oh, I'm going to write a Forbes article about net neutrality. I spent about 45 minutes putting this article together, which is really fast for me. And I threw this thing out there on Forbes and then it just blew up and I got all this media attention. It became my most popular article ever on Forbes. I got on national TV because of that. I was on radio. I've been on podcasts. I've been on Al Jazeera, like international TV. 
And every time it comes back into the news cycle, I get a bunch of calls all over again. So every, in fact, I don't even pay that much attention to net neutrality anymore, but I know when it's in the news cycle because all of a sudden I start getting emails and half of it is news inquiries and interview requests. And then the other half of it is hate mail from people who disagree with my position. So I look at that. I'm like, oh, I almost wish I had never written this article because it's like it doesn't help my business at all. Although it does help me to build up my profile because then I get into other news stations and then I can say, hey, I was on Al Jazeera, I was on ABC, I was on the, this other station and such. So it does build up my profile a little bit that way. But then I get all the hate mail too and I'm like, oh, do I have to respond to this stuff all over again? So that's one tip is if you're going to write stuff and you want to get attention, write about something controversial, take a stand because people will either love it or they'll hate it. Either way, they're going to comment on it and they're going to share it. So uh, that's something you can use to your advantage. You also be, have to be careful with this though because it might take off in a way that you don't really want it to take off and it might bring attention to you that you don't really want and it might just be a distraction, which it kind of is for me, but I'll take it. Um, another one that I wrote that I'm much happier about that it's so successful was I wrote an article about how I prioritized exercise and fitness over my business, over being an entrepreneur. And my reasoning was, if I don't have my health and I can't function, I'm not going to be a very good entrepreneur. So health has to come first, otherwise everything else falls apart. So I wrote an article about this, published it in Entrepreneur Magazine, and it really took off and became popular and it got syndicated by Time Magazine, that's how I got into Time. And it's been one of my longest lasting successes. I, I get emails and comments all the time from people who are still reading this article years later and saying, thank you for writing this. I appreciate this because I've been trying to figure out how to justify spending time at the gym and exercising when my business is struggling. And in the article, I give people, people permission to prioritize exercise and make that a priority over their business. And so people really seem to appreciate that. And I'm glad because I know that this matters so much, that health impacts how we think, it impacts our mood, it impacts our productivity at work. And so I'm really glad that people are right, reading that. Again, I've never made any money off of that article. It doesn't bring me business, but it really does satisfy my heart in that I feel like I'm helping people out. I'm doing something that helps entrepreneurs and helps business people that way. And there needs to be that balance too, of just business and pleasure and fun because business needs to be fun at the end of the day. Um, Josh, we're, we're going to ch uh, change the conversation a little bit because I feel like we have a really good foundation of who you are as a business professional, a brilliant business professional at that. Um, but something that I'm really curious about is, and this is a personal question, um, you you are currently living in China. What has yes. that transition been like for you? And if it's okay, if we can ask, I mean, why did you inevitably move there? So I initially moved to China or to Asia because my wife and I are adopting a child from China. And when we started looking into this, we, at first we were just saying, okay, well, we'll adopt from China like everybody else does from the US. And then you travel over there and then you get your child and you come back. But as we started looking at this adoption, we're adopting an older child, we thought, you know what? We've already got two kids. We've always wanted to live somewhere else and have adventures. 
why don't we just move over there? That'd be fun. And uh, my wife was crazy enough to go along with this. And so in 2013, we just up and moved, except we weren't quite crazy enough to move to China. So we moved to Hong Kong, which we felt like would be a little bit easier. So we moved to Hong Kong and then I'm working there and then the business took off there and we got an office up and running. We've got about 10 people in Hong Kong working for my agency. And then that became self-sufficient. So we started saying, well, maybe we should go somewhere else. Should we move to Singapore? Should we go to Taiwan? And China seemed still a little bit crazy. uh, But finally we thought, you know what? We should move to China and let's move to Shenzhen, which is kind of the Silicon Valley of China. It's right across the border from Hong Kong. So it's still close to my office there. And so we moved to Shenzhen about a year ago and it's just, it was absolutely the right move. It's been an incredible experience. We've been learning a little bit of Chinese. We've been having fun over here. But the biggest thing that's come out of it for me business-wise is just seeing the scale of how things are happening here. In Shen- Shenzhen is the third largest city in China, and it is growing fast. They built more skyscrapers in Shenzhen in 2016 than all the U.S. and Australia combined. That's how fast this city's growing. Every day, I just look out my window here. I'm in my home office right now, and I'm looking out the window, and I see all these huge skyscrapers being built, and I see all the business going on, and there are like 15, 20 million people here, and there are a bunch of startups, there are a bunch of entrepreneurs, there's all sorts of businesses growing quickly, and it's just so exciting to see how big this is and the big numbers, and then I take that back to my business, and I say, I've got to think bigger. I've got to dream bigger. I mean, if you're going to dream, dream big Mm -hmm. and go for something big. And when I look out that window and I see what's going on here, I say, these people are doing big things. Why can't I do big things too? I can do big things. I'm going to go do something big. And it just, it's inspiring for me as an entrepreneur to be here and see what's going on and then take that to my business. That's really cool. Now, I have a question about habits. You mentioned healthy eating. You mentioned working out. Are there any habits that have helped you become more efficient throughout your day? Yeah. Uh, My number one habit is to be lazy. So there's a quote from Bill Gates about how he hires lazy people because he knows they'll figure out the most efficient way to get things done. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of my life, too, is I look at stuff and I'm like, I don't want to do any more work than is absolutely necessary for anything that I do. And you could look at that either as being lazy or as being optimized minded. And so I look at what I'm doing. I say, you know, what's the shortest path? What's the most efficient path to get the things that I want in life? And for me, I've learned this the hard way that fitness and exercise and health and nutrition and a schedule and sticking to a schedule, these are things that I used to feel were restrictive and kept me from working in the business and getting stuff done. And the result of that back when I thought that way was I worked 100 hours a week, I slept at the office a lot, uh, I was always buying fast food, You know, no time for anything, I just gotta get stuff fast, I'm gonna eat quick, I'm going to have candy bars around, you know, because it's more efficient than a home-cooked meal, stuff like that. And the result of that was that I ended up broke, really unhealthy. I mean, I was fat, full-on fat. And I was unhappy. My mind was clouded all the time. I mean, I was losing 
every which way in life. And my relationships were in bad shape with, I mean, I hardly saw my wife at all. I didn't go to family reunions. I didn't spend time with friends. I mean, it was just every which way I was losing. And finally, after years of this, I thought, I've got to change this. Like something's got to give or I'm going to die. Mm -hmm. And it was a leap of faith to say, I'm going to work fewer hours. Mm -hmm. And my, my mind was screaming at me saying, you're already working 100 hours a week and it's not enough. How is cutting your hours down going to fix this? But a funny thing happened. When I said, I'm going to work 40 hours a week and I'm just going to figure out how to get stuff done, all of a sudden, within two months of me deciding, I'm going to cut down from 100 hours a week to 40 hours a week, I started getting paid. I hadn't been paid in four years. I hadn't paid myself a dime. Everything was going back into the business. Within two months, I was getting paid. I was paying 20 grand a month off in, in business debt. I was sleeping a lot better. I was sleeping at home, for one, instead of on the office floor. And I started getting healthy. I started going back to the gym. I got into triathlon. All of a sudden, all these things started going right for me. And the one key decision was, I'm not going to work 100-hour weeks. I'm going to work 40-hour weeks. Why did that happen? It wasn't magic. What happened is when I put that constraint on myself and I said, I am going to restrain myself and force myself to stick to 40 hours a week, all of a sudden, I had to get really strategic about what I spent my time on. When you have 100 hours a week, you have all the time in the world. So you can do all sorts of things. You can focus, you can do work on things that don't matter because you've got unlimited time to fix all the problems. When you restrain yourself to 40 hours a week, you start saying, wait a second, if I've only got 40 hours a week, I have to focus on the stuff that matters, that makes a difference, and I've got to cut out a bunch of stuff. So I started cutting out all the stuff that didn't matter, and I started fixing problems that I had let go for too long before because, hey, I've got limited time here. i got to be efficient. So I started making better business decisions, and it just turned the business around instantly like that. It was amazing. That's awesome. And, and your answer is just so honest and sincere and, and, and genuine. It's thank you for all the information you provided thus far. Uh, I, I just do have one final question for you, if that's okay with you. And this podcast, The Blind Entrepreneur, was created for individuals who are stuck in business. They're, they currently can't see the obvious. So you know, to those individuals, you've given already a ton of advice. Um, what are, just to summarize everything that you said, what are three pieces of advice that you would give to a fellow entrepreneur? So number one, trust your wife. She's probably right. Or your spouse um, or your partner or your best friend or your guru or whoever your mentor is who has an outside perspective. Trust their advice because they probably see a bunch of things that you don't see going back to being blind. Mm -hmm. So, and if you don't have somebody who fills that role, find somebody, find a mentor, find a mastermind group, find a peer group, whatever it is, but get somebody with an outside perspective who will give you honest and frank advice and not hold back. That's why I'm alive today. That's why I'm here. That's why I'm successful is because I have somebody, my wife and other people who give me that type of advice. Number two, I'm a huge fan of artificial constraints. Don't let life be your constraint. You decide where the constraints are. Because if you let life boss you around and give you the limits, then you're not in control. You're just reacting all the time to what life throws at you. But if you say, I'm going to create my own limits, then you can use those limits to your advantage. An example of that, which I just gave, was life limited me to working 100 hours a week. 
And that was terrible. When I limited myself to 40 hours a week, then I took control of my life and things started turning around. And you can apply this in all sorts of places in terms of creating these artificial constraints to give you control, to give you power over what you're doing. And then the third thing is, there's this great quote from Jack Canfield, who's the author of Chicken Soup for the Soul. He says, uh, I'm paraphrasing, but something along the lines of, there's great power when you take full responsibility for everything that happens to you in your life. Now, are you responsible for everything that happens to you in your life? No, you're not. But when you take responsibility for everything in your life, you take control, you get power, and you start making better decisions, and amazing things will happen when you adopt that mindset. When you stop saying, oh, I'm a victim of things that are happening, and you start saying, I am in control of my life, and I'm going to take responsibility, even for the stuff I'm not responsible for, I'm still gonna take responsibility for that. It will change your perspective, and all of a sudden, amazing things start happening to you. Awesome, well, Josh, incredible interview thank you so much for the words of wisdom you successfully completed the podcast so congratulations to you sir uh without further ado the next 30 seconds is all about you tell us a little bit more about yourself uh excuse me tell us a little bit more about how people can follow your journey your mission and potentially even becoming a client of yours Sure thing. So my agency is mwimwi.com. If you need a full service digital marketing agency that's really expensive, vomit in your mouth expensive, but really good, <laughs> you can go find us there. Uh, and on the other side of becoming a thought leader, I've got a Facebook group. If you search for the Influencer Inc. Facebook group, we've got 3,200 people and growing quickly. It's all people who want to become thought leaders and influencers. And also I'm launching a course on how to become a contributor to Forbes. So you can find me at joshsteinle.com. That's J-O-S-H-S-T-E-I-M as in Mary, L-E.com. And I've got a course I'm launching there on how to become a contributor. And you can find all my social media profiles there as well. Very cool. Well, Josh, thank you again so much for your time. To those of you who are still watching and listening. Thank you guys for always liking, commenting, and subscribing. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on YouTube and head over to theblindentrepreneur.com for more interviews. Josh, until next time, everyone, thank you guys so much. Have a great day and an even better tomorrow. Thank you so much for watching this video. Don't forget to follow me on any and all social media platforms using the long last name above, followed by the letter J. If you want to get lost into the dark abyss of YouTube, click either left or right for another video. And finally, don't forget to hit the subscribe button. No, seriously, don't forget.